Hello, and welcome to Forensics Faces. I'm Kurt Graves, your host and head coach from Sheboygan North High School. I am so excited to be sharing with you the first episode of Forensics Faces. I have to begin by telling you how this podcast came to be. Last summer, that's the summer of 2011, a group of WFCA coaches gathered for a strategic planning meeting. Basically, we shared our experiences as coaches and and some of us as former competitors in the WFCA, and we attempted to define the organization's strengths and weaknesses in the hopes of building upon that which we already do well and improving areas where we saw room for improvement. After an afternoon of great conversations with these coaches, I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if everyone in the WFCA had the chance to sit down and chat? Now, that would be a tall order but I so desperately wanted for others to have the benefit of hearing the perspective and wisdom of the members of the WFCA. I also wanted to showcase the organization, and what better way to do that than through its people? Out of those desires, this podcast was born. My hope is that the listeners of this podcast will come to a better understanding of how the WFCA functions, but even more, I hope that we all gain a deeper appreciation for the activity that is forensics. Perhaps you're a longtime competitor turned coach who gets a kick out of hearing your friends and colleagues tell stories. Well, we'll have that. Perhaps you're a student seeking advice on how to improve as a competitor. We've got that too. Perhaps you're new to Wisconsin and want to learn more about our forensics community. To you, I say welcome. Perhaps you're the scientific type who thought this was a podcast about crime scene investigation. My apologies. You should stop listening now. Whatever your reason for downloading this podcast, I hope you find what you're looking for. Because above all else, Forensics Faces is my love letter to the activity and the organization that has shaped my life and my relationships in so many ways. The first guest on the program, our first Forensics Face, if you will, is Bonnie Knight, the current past president of the WFCA. Yes, we have a current past president. See why we need a podcast to explain things? She is in the final phase of the three-year commitment as president of the WFCA. So two years ago, she was the president-elect, then she was the president, and now she's the past president. Make sense? Bonnie is a retired French teacher from Eau Claire North, but she's still coaching forensics. She's also been traveling the state running coaching clinics, an initiative she took on as president to improve communication among coaches. It was after one of these clinics that Bonnie and I had the chance to sit down and chat. Here's my conversation with Bonnie. So first of all, let me say thank you for being on Forensics Faces. You're very welcome, Kurt. So you are in your second year of quote-unquote retirement now. That's correct. How is that? How's life? Not very retired. No? <laughs> Just as busy as ever, I'd say. What, do you, what keeps you busy these days? Um, well, I'm still coaching forensics, which I thought I had retired from but couldn't retire from it. I am, um, right now I'm doing a sub-job, so I'm... Not substitute teaching, but I'm working in the learning center at our high school as a long-term sub for seven weeks. I'm trying to clean my house a lot more than I ever used to. That was People used to say, how do you do it all? And I used to say, I never clean my house. And now I don't have that excuse, so I'm trying to keep my house a little cleaner. Nice. And you were a French teacher, correct? I was, yes. Can you say, welcome to Forensics Faces? Bienvenue au visage de Forensics. Forensics doesn't exist in French. Awesome. 
What would you say in French if you needed to say parole French? or speech? They would say le, they would actually say the word le speech or le parole, which means the speech oh. or the words. Hmm. So, what do you do for fun? Or is there no time for fun? Yet? Oh no, there's definitely time for fun. I um, I ride my bicycle every day, every single day. And now that it's 13 below zero or whatever it is today, I have a trainer that I put my bike on, and it's inside. Um, and I love to canoe during the summer. I read a lot. I knit. I sew. And I clean my house some more because it's always messy. Sounds good. If you had to explain forensics to a total stranger, what would you say? I usually start by saying, I coach forensics, which is competitive speaking and acting. I'm a speech and acting coach. I coach forensics. I usually say all four of those sentences or however many that is. And if they ask for further explanation? I try and explain that I take students and I teach them, I help them write speeches or I teach them how to write speeches um, or develop a performance. And then we go to competitions where the kids perform in classrooms and are judged. And then um, there are champions and so forth. So I try and talk about it in that way. Now, the reason I'm asking every guest that question is actually because of the coaching clinics that you're doing. And I understand there was a certain story that prompted that uh, question to be raised, something that happened at Nationals last year. Oh, my goodness. Would you mind sharing <laughs> that story for our listeners? <laughs> All righty. Well, we were staying in a Hilton in Arlington, Virginia, and I have had a young student, a young man, who likes to be early, and on the day of the tournament, he decided that he would get up early and go down and wait for us in the lobby. So he was sitting in the lobby, dressed in a suit, and he looked spectacular. He was an adorable young man. And so he was sitting there all alone, all dressed up and fancy at 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning at the Hilton in Arlington, Virginia. And an older man walked up to him and said, So, you waiting for your girlfriend? And my student, Corey, said he thought about it. He thought about trying to explain forensics to this older man. For a second, he actually thought about it, and he decided it was too complicated, so he said, yes, I'm waiting for my girlfriend. And right then, ding, the elevator door dinged, and it opened, and out I walked. And I walked up to him, and I was so excited to see him and so anxious to encourage him that I walked up to him and I said, oh, honey, you look beautiful. I am so proud of you. And I, whatever happens today, I just want you to feel good about it. So just do what you do and do it the way that you do it because you're ready, I promise you. And I also said, and when we get there, make sure you warm up the girls because, you know, we want this to go really well today. And at that, the man crossed back across the lobby, walked up to Corey and shook his hand and said, Son, I've been waiting my whole life for a woman to say that to me. And I didn't know, of course, what had transpired before, but <laughs> probably one of the most embarrassing things that's ever happened to me. So, but out of that came the desire to have yes, a really good yes, definition. A soundbite for, for forensics. forensics mm -hmm. Both for coaches and mm -hmm. for students to mm -hmm. be able to explain that they are not waiting for their girlfriend right. <laughs> at 7 o'clock in the morning. Your passion project as the WFCA president was these coaching clinics. Yeah. What did you hope to achieve when you started doing them? I originally, when I first 
came onto the board of the WFCA, I was discouraged at the lack of communication between members and the actual hostility, open hostility between members. And uh, I've said it a million times in a million different situations. I absolutely believe that the solution to conflict is communication. And I absolutely believed that we weren't talking to each other enough, that we weren't communicating and having meaningful conversations enough, and that those conversations couldn't or at least weren't occurring at meetings, at general fall meetings, and that the only way to move the organization forward and to make it stronger was if I forced people to talk to each other, which they were really not necessarily inclined to do. Uh, and it was at first, it was a pretty big battle. There was, a lot, there was some resistance, definitely. Mostly, I wanted people to talk to each other. And I also felt, too, that there, was, there were a lot of people that were underinformed about rule changes or policies or the the reason we had certain rules people were were not understanding the actions that the board was taking because they weren't in on the conversations about the decisions we were making and so there was some hostility towards the board we would pass a rule and people wouldn't know why we passed the rule and so they would be resentful and I just really felt like everybody needed to be better informed and and they needed to participate in the conversations and I felt the organization would be stronger if people just talked to each other. And we're three years in so are you achieving these goals? Are you on your way? Measurably, like statistically measurably, yes. When I, every time I do a clinic, I have people complete an evaluation sheet and um, I work very hard at disappearing when that happens. I walk away physically and I encourage them to all put them in a pile and I face down and I encourage them to be anonymous and statistically uh, we have a very high approval rating so out of, say, 80 or 90 clinic attendees every year, maybe two people disagree that they should happen every year or that they were effective, but 90% of them either agree or strongly agree that they should continue. So, like, it's measurable. The success in that way is measurable in terms of um, more affective unmeasurable uh, aspects of it. I feel that I know the members better. I know more people than I ever did before. I certainly know a lot more people by name. I feel like people feel more ready to contact me if they have questions or problems because they know who I am and they can um, reach me and they they know me. They, you know, they have a face and a personality to go with my name. But like I said before, there are still just a few people that um, are still resistant to the idea. And I have come to peace with that pretty much strictly because the numbers are, the evaluations are so positive. So it's, that's a, it's really helpful to me to have an objective way to measure success. And I didn't write the evaluation forms. I had someone else write the evaluation so that it wouldn't be skewed in any way by what I thought the clinics should measure or by what I thought would be important. I had Kelsey Palmer, former treasurer. She prepared the evaluation and I use the same form every year so that it doesn't vary from year to year even. It asks the same questions every year so that 
it's always comparable to previous years. I do feel that these clinics give everyone a voice, especially this year I have it structured so that people can just stick a dot on a piece of paper to show where they stand. And it's, it's a good way for people who are less assertive to still put their little voice in or their, their uh, not their little voice, their very important voice in without having to stand up and speak in front of people or disagree or argue or anything. They can just simply visually show where they stand in a pretty non-confrontive way and still make it count. So what does the average forensics participant not know about being the WFCA president? They do not know how many bizarre complaints and questions are sent to us. I have heard from students, parents, teachers, coaches, and administrators on a wide variety of valuable and sometimes seemingly silly issues and conflicts that I couldn't have dreamt up that were sometimes very difficult to manage. And um, my husband has a saying that he heard somewhere about academia that he always applies to forensics that is not meant to be demeaning, but it's the smaller the prize, the bigger the fight, that... um, you know, sometimes we need to remember at the end of the day that it is just forensics. It's not the Nobel Prize or something that people seem to want to fight more about the littlest, tiniest, most insignificant issues when the bigger issue is you know, we're really all just trying to help kids um, become better, more, um, more communicative and more fulfilled adults. Tell us your forensics story. Were you a high school competitor? No. In fact, I had to look in my high school yearbook to see if we even did have forensics, but we did, and I didn't know about it. Uh, I went to a big high school. There were 2,000 kids in my high school. I was in drama in high school. How did you get into coaching? Oh, actually, that's actually kind of a funny story. So I was coaching at that high school a little bit, kind of as a volunteer, and a job opened up at Eau Claire North High School teaching French. And the word on the street was that um, they had already decided to hire that current French teacher's student teacher because she was willing to coach volleyball and forensics. And a friend of mine at the school where I was subbing was also applying to, to teach at Eau Claire North High School in family and consumer education and she was a volleyball coach and so one day at lunch I said look you go in and say you'll be the best volleyball coach they ever had and I'll go in and say I'll be the best forensics coach you ever had and let's see if we can wrestle that job away from that student teacher and we did we did we we each got the job and she's still teaching there she's retiring this year. Oh, good. I'm glad it worked. <laughs> yeah. Your, your little scheme. Yeah, we actually <laughs> plotted over it. It was kind of silly, but we did. I will say that for me, coaching forensics is uh, like um, maybe like what religion would be like for other people. Like um, it's kind of like it definitely gives me a purpose and it definitely I believe in it. Like, I believe in the power of forensics. I, I have had so many fantastic success stories throughout my career of people with learning disabilities and speech impediments and 
inability to focus and immaturity and perceived lack of talent go on to be state finalists or state champions or national semifinalists. I also think that it's it's not just the success, but it's the nature of what we do by teaching kids to have a voice, by helping them find their voice, by 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 giving them the power to learn to stand up straight and articulate for themselves. We can't, I can't think of another skill that would be more important that we could give to kids. And it's so powerful to me that I often joke and say, oh, forensics is like religion to me because it moves me probably more than anything else that I do in life. Well, that segues nicely to my next question, which is how has forensics impacted your life? Oh, forensics is my life. (laughs) Much of the time, it feels like that anyway. It is so hard to keep a balance of work, of teaching or work, whatever your actual profession is, forensics and family or relationships. It's almost, it's so hard, so hard. I look back and I, my husband, when my daughter was young, hated forensics. He hated that I did it. He hated everything about it. He hated that it took me away so much. He was angry about it a lot. He was resentful. Of course, national qualifiers was always on our wedding anniversary, March 21st, and nationals was always on his birthday, May 28th, and... um, For a long, long time, he was resentful. At some point, I brilliantly figured out, relatively late, that if I involved him more, if he could get to know the kids, he might begin to see what it was about. So I used to, um, I I invited him along on a couple of trips, and uh, he came on a few of them. And once he got to know the kids personally and watch them perform and see their struggles and know who they were, Um, He's my biggest fan, my greatest supporter. As I've been racing all over the state to do these clinics, he's been completely supportive. Um, And he is my biggest fan now. But it was a struggle, and I really feel for young married coaches with small children. I, I don't know how I got through it. I don't know how anyone can get through it except through sheer passion and determination. I don't think I've ever had a conversation with you that didn't include a very special type of praise for a student of yours. And I think every coach in the WFCA has a great affection for the kids that they work with. But you in particular, it seems like when you talk about your kids, there's a special light that goes on. So is that a a special relationship that you develop with your forensics kids? Or is that how you are with everybody? Gosh, I might cry. I don't know. I I don't know. I um my foot is wiggling cuz I don't know. <laughs> I'm jiggling my foot. I do think a couple of things. I think that the Bonnie Knight style of coaching forensics is pretty um I mean we 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 get to the bottom of how we really feel about stuff. So we were just working with a girl yesterday on public address, and she, um, 
we probably talked to her for about three hours about how she felt about the question. And in doing that, we, you know, got to the bottom of a lot of her life experiences and things that she felt and believed in. When I coach Interp, we get to the bottom of how we feel about things and how the student feels about things and imagining how you would feel if you were that character. So I think there is that. I think I'm a relationship-based person more so than not. And I, I, I would probably be lying if I d- or omitting something if I didn't admit that um, a big life shaper was um, my assistant coach died in 2007 and he was 26 years old and he had a blood clot in his lung and uh, he just dropped dead one day and it did bring a lot of us who were around really close together and it did make me it reminded me dramatically that life is really short and he was my very best friend my my partner he was my forensics coaching partner it made me realize uh, how important it is to have someone to share all that with and it also made me realize the importance of relationships because I just lost my other than my family my my best relationship in life and yet, I'm st- I still am, I think I'm just ex- extremely relationship-based. But I do, I have a pretty strong personality, and there are people out there who don't like me. <laughs> I know that. I'm aware of that. And um, that's the way it is. But um, even that is hard for me. I just think that I, I do tend to focus on the relationships that are built as, as we go, whether it's in life or in forensics. But... I do really, 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 really love my students. I really do. I, I just, there are just are not enough words for that in my, in my vocabulary. And I have a lot of words in my vocabulary. <laughs> what was the name of your assistant coach that passed away? His name was Steve Sparks, and we named our tournament after him. He was the kind of kid, he was on my forensics team, and he, um, he did radio speaking, made it to finals in radio speaking, he did a play act or whatever, and um, I, I never knew. Here's the thing. I never knew when he was in high school. I had no idea that forensics was his thing. I mean, he was there all the time, but I never knew that he self-identified as a forensics person until he came back and started to volunteer coach, and we didn't pay him, he, and he came from October until May, every single day from three to five as a volunteer because he had a he had a job where he could do that and he just stopped by and coached every single day and it 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 was not until he'd done that for a couple of years that I realized that I mean you think you know when you've really reached a kid you you think you know and I realized through him that we probably reach way more kids than we ever ever will know just because it, they, it never occurs to them to tell you or to let you know or let you in on the secret that that this is where they belong I, I never knew and that was the most surprising thing for me was to find out that uh, I gave the eulogy at his funeral and his parents had all the memorials don't sent to my forensics team my when he when he was in high school I had no idea that 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 was how he's I mean he was in student council and he was in plays and I had I had never had an 
a notion that in his mind he was in forensics and that was his self-identity and I didn't even know what a beautiful lesson for all of us to take away so our hearts certainly go out to his family and yeah, and you yeah. and all the students who were affected by that experience. He was like 6'6 six, six and like, I don't know, big, really big guy, huge and brilliant, 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 brilliant. And he was like the center of the universe for the people around him. And when he died, my students lost this giant hip center brilliant center of the universe you know they worshiped him and then there he wasn't and um I did not do I did my very best at trying to hold it together and trying to you know keep the team going and uh we placed at state that year like in eighth or ninth or something like that which was the first time in a long time um I did not always hold it together really well but um and I could not have gone through that without my students and my friends that I that I have. But um, it's probably a big part of why I'm so relationship based is because that was a big a big obstacle to overcome to uh, try and um, keep it together for everyone. When I'm not a very keep it together type of a person, was I don't I didn't do a great job at that. But um, everybody got through it, so we're all still standing. And it sounds like his he still has a presence. Oh, he team. definitely, he will always have a presence, yeah. Yeah, right. always. So what is your favorite forensics memory? We had this the first Steve Sparks Memorial Forensics Tournament. His mom and dad came to hand out awards. I have this student named Nick who, when he was a freshman, was... The worst radio speaker you ever heard. Hi, Mrs. Knight. I want to be in forensics, and I want to be in radio speaking. <laughs> so Nick did radio speaking, and he got better and better and better. Um, his first year, he didn't take last place at his last tournament. He was pretty excited about that. Then his sophomore year, he got better, and Steve did radio, so Steve coached him. Honey worshipped Steve. So his senior year, Steve had died in August right before the school year started. Nick added solo acting somehow. He went to the his freshman year. He went and saw Phil Bridge from Brookfield East do solo humorous and said to himself, when I'm a senior, I want to be in the finals of solo humorous. So that was his goal. And Nick is a very goal-oriented kid, so he worked and worked and worked and came to me. None of us will ever forget. He came to me when he was a sophomore, and he said, I want to do solo humorous. And he said that I had a funny look on my face, and I said, are you sure you want to do that? And he said, yes, I'm sure I want to do it. And he said, I paused for quite a while, and I said, Okay, then. So he started with a two-character piece or whatever and then worked his way up. So fast forward to his senior year in high school, the Steve Sparks Memorial Forensics Tournament. Appleton East was there, and Madison Memorial was there, and Durand was there. So there were some pretty big, tough schools at Eau Claire North High School that day. And Nick was triple-entered in duo interp, radio speaking, and solo acting, and he won first place in all three events. Out of sheer force of will and determination. And I cried, of course, cried and cried and cried and cried and cried. And 
that was he, he Nick is an example to me always because he would come in before school, he would come in after track meets, he would come in, you know, he would practice from 8 to 10 at night at 6 in the morning on weekends. He he would spend hundreds of hours in his bathroom at home practicing in front of the mirror because he wanted to honor Steve that way. There are a few questions that I, I'm asking everyone. Um, in some ways to get a consensus, but also just because I think it's interesting to hear the different perspectives on on things that are very common in forensics. What is Farago? <laughs> the definition of Farago, I think, is like a mash or a, some sort of feed for dogs or, or uh, cattle or something. I looked it up a long time ago. Some sort of mishmash. Um, <sighs> Farago is a program that a student prepares on a theme that the student develops using different genres or styles of literature. And what makes a good Farrago? Uh, to me, and I had a really good Farragist last year, um, it is a lovely balance of interpretive literature that's, that's um, powerful and interpreted well but an interesting and intellectual theme that's articulated well. What is the difference between interp and acting? That is going to be the topic of my next set of clinics. No, not really. I mean, I wanted it to be like last year. That was what I set out to have be the topic of clinics. I've asked, as nobody knows, and anyone who knows is telling you that is that tells you they know they're lying because nobody knows. Um, I've heard the best, the the only definition anyone will give me is, if the tear forms in the eye, it's interp, but if it falls from the eye, it's acting. What um, a load of hooey. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I did actually literally want to take my video camera, and maybe I will take it this nationals um, and interview the top coaches in the country and ask them that question um, I I it there's some imaginary line that's very very wiggly and there are judges on both sides of that imaginary line that's very wiggly and at this point in time it's a very gray area I do believe though that there is um um that you, there should be, you shouldn't be pantomiming and directly gesturing in interp. Um, I had a girl do a prose about smothering someone, and she, you know, formed the ba- the plastic bag going over the person's face, and a lot of people felt that was over the line in terms of interp. So there's there's a line out there somewhere, and I've been coaching for thirty years, and I'm kind of I have one foot on each side of the line. I don't really know where it is. Excellent. If you end up doing that documentary yeah. at Nationals, let me know. I will follow you around with a voice recorder. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then okay. we can do a special edition of Forensics Faces <laughs> to launch your documentary about the difference between interp and actor. Okay, we that should could do be that. Fun. Let's do Let's that. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, first, we have to have kids qualify for Nationals. That's so true. Knock on wood. Yeah. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> what is your favorite category to judge? To judge solo serious. Or original oratory, which are also my two favorite categories to coach. Pick one and tell me what makes a competitor great in that category. Okay, since you're asking that, I'm going to pick original oratory. Go for it. Okay. 
An original oratory, according to the Bonnie Knight School of Original Oratory, should speak about something that I, and therefore everyone, that your judges will think is important, but to think to make me think about it in a new way. And in the context of doing that, to use articulate language and extraordinary delivery, including gestures, voice, and face. And it should be genuine, like it should be genuine, and you should have some connection to it. And really and truly, it should have a little humor and a lot of really serious. It sounds to me like those would all be very good qualities for a solo serious as well. Yeah, but the difference is the student doesn't create the material in Solo Serious. For the mo- if, if you want, I'll yeah. tell you about Solo Serious. Solo Serious is straight up genuine to me. It's, um, I believe that forensics is the best, tr- and a lot of people will disagree with me on this. A lot of people will disagree. But I believe that's, that forensics is the best training for acting that you can find. And if you really want to be an actor, you should go into Solo Serious because um, it is the only time in your life where you will take a an excerpt an eight to ten minute excerpt and work on it for months until you have uh, I believe that acting is is a series of decisions like you decide to lift your hand at this point um, or you decide to smile or say this word loudly and forensics is the only place where you get to explore your decisions in acting so thoroughly. When you're doing a play, you usually do it, you rehearse it for maybe two months, but there, you, you rehearse the entirety of the play for two months, and nobody cares whether you, you know, cock your head a little bit or lower your voice slightly on this word or raise your hand up a little bit higher on that line like they do in forensics. So I think that solo acting, solo series, makes you think more about acting than any other acting experience there is out there. I agree. And as a former orator and solo serious competitor, <laughs> those are two of my favorites as well. What advice do you have for forensic students today? Oh, for forensic students, I have a whole list of advice, and I can't remember it all off the top of my head, but it would be work. Work, 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 work. Perform your selection for anyone who will listen, for other teachers, coaches, parents, students, anyone you can get to watch you. Listen to your coach. Just put the time in. If you put the time in, you'll have results, I think. Work in front of a mirror. Um, videotape yourself. Be a good listener when you go in rounds. Be a respectful contestant. And then work some more. All right, Bonnie Knight. Okay. Each week, we try to outsmart our guest in our game, FaceTime. This is how it works. I have 20 questions inspired by a forensics category. You have 90 seconds. That's 75 seconds with a 15-second grace period (laughs) to answer as many questions as you can. Your final score will be printed on a FaceTime plaque for you to show off to family and friends. Your topic this week is based on moments in history. This year's time period is the 1960s, so you'll have to answer questions based on historical events that occurred from 1960 to 1969. Oh, God. Your 90 seconds will begin when I'm finished reading the first question. Ready? No. Can I skip? 
Yes, if you don't know it, pass, because oh. then you'll get to an expert <clears throat> okay. faster. Oh, dear. I'm going to sound so dumb. <laughs> I highly doubt it. But ready to go? <laughs> yes. Okay. In 1960, Alfred Hitchcock releases the thriller Blank, starring Anthony Perkins. Psycho. Correct. In April 1961, the Bay of Blank invasion it takes place Pigs. in Cuba. Correct. In August 1963, Martin Luther King delivers his Blank speech. I have a dream. Yep. In 1962, Andy Warhol exhibits his series of paintings on the Blank soup can. Campbell's. Correct. In 63, Betty Friedan publishes The Blank Mystique. Feminine. Correct. Feminist. Feminine. Feminine, yep. In 1964, Hasbro launches their blank action figure. G.I. Joe. Correct. In 65, a series of racial riots takes place in blank. Watts. I was there. Watts, California? No? Yeah? Yep. Okay. In 1966, future convention goers rejoice as the TV series Blank premieres. I don't know. Star Trek. Oh. In 1967, Argentine Marxist revolutionary blank is killed. Oh, Che Guevara? Correct. In 1960, Coca-Cola introduces blank as an alternative to brown soda. Tab? Sprite. Oh. Also in 1960, animated series Blank is introduced and draws comparisons to the Honeymooners. Flintstones. Correct. In 61, American icon Blank meets her boyfriend, Ken. Barbie. Correct. In 1962, television company Blank begins airing in color for 3.5 hours a week. NBC? ABC. Oh. In 1963, blank codes are introduced to the country by the U.S. Postal Service. Zip codes. Correct. And in 1964, Ford Motors introduces the blank. Pinto? Mustang. <laughs> and that's all the time we have. All but four questions you got in. You're fast. That is 11 correct answers, so congratulations. Thank you, Bonnie Knight, so much for being a part of Forensics Faces and for sharing your experiences with us. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Thank you. It will really make the organization so much better. And I just, I can't wait to hear it. So I just think that by capturing the words of, of, of various coaches, it just can't be anything but wonderful. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing it. Thanks for joining us for Forensics Faces. Special thanks to this week's Forensics Face, Bonnie Knight. Is there still something you want to know about Bonnie? Post your questions, start a conversation, and view exclusive content like Bonnie's must-do list on the Forensics Faces blog at ForensicsFaces.com. Forensics Faces is recorded and edited by Kurt Graves. Our theme song is by Kate Marshall. FaceTime prizes are furnished by Distinctive Images, offering creative and personalized laser imaging. Learn more at distinctiveimages.net. Forensics Faces is produced with the support of the WFCA, developing communication skills vital for a lifetime of effective participation in society. Find out more at wfcaforensics.org.